Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is joined by John St. Ryan, and he talks to us about some struggles growing up, including leaving school at 15 years old and how his temper made him lose his best friend, but then how he got an opportunity to teach martial arts to the army, jumpstart his acting career, and his experiences with both Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by In Stride Productions, videography and photography with the equestrian in focus. Whether you need marketing content or memories that last a lifetime, InStride Productions will capture your moment. Please visit www.instrideproductions.com. Stable Connections is sponsored by Elk Grove Milling Incorporated, the trusted maker of Stable Mix Complete Feeds. Stable Mix products are available in most Western states through Tractor Supply, and their classic barrel program is available at your local California feed stores. Contact Stable Mix representatives at 916-684-2056 for personalized feeding recommendations on how to stretch your hay supply or provide complete nutrition to have a healthier, happier horse. Visit www.elkgrovemilling.com. I'm from originally a place called Burnley, Lancashire, in the north of England. That was where I was born. Did you stay there long? Till I was about, I think, nine or ten. Then my family moved to Ireland. My dad was working in Ireland, so we shipped us all over to Ireland. So it was kind of a big change because, you know, you kind of settled in. I don't know what you call it over here, but I was in junior school over there. And then you go to do what they call your 11 plus, which is an examination to figure out whether you've got the brains to go to a grammar school or a trade school or something like that, whatever, academic-wise. So by some good luck and fortune, I must have been all right at that time academically, and I, I got to go to a grammar school, which was outside Belfast called Friends Grammar School. That's where... Things were going pretty good. I enjoyed the people and I enjoyed the place, but I hated the school. It was very strict. The teachers were miserable. I don't think they had much fun doing what they did unless they were being derisive of the kids. Uh, there was a lot of bullying, uh, hazing, that kind of thing, especially when you're your first ones in the first year. Kind of like the freshmen here. Yeah. Sometimes freshmen get kind of picked on because they're new and. Yeah, yeah, all this bullshit thing where they drag you in the toilet, shove your head down the toilet, you oh. know, and they're like 10 years older than you, and, you know, what are you going to do? You try and fight back, and it doesn't work very well with that age difference. I didn't like any of the subjects. I love music, but the music teacher was an asshole. Mm. He was one of these kinds of people that took great joy in the fact that you're. Your voice is breaking, you know, you're 11 years old and your voice is breaking and you're meant to be singing soprano, but it keeps cracking. And he would make fun of you in class. So, you know, you start to wither away and you start not to try because you can't help your voice breaking. You're trying to sing a note and you sing a song or whatever they wanted you to sing and it keeps cracking. And then he would make fun of you and of course the class laughs. And then the next kid comes up and he does the same damn thing, the class laughs. So what are we learning? 
we're learning to mock and be, you know, make fools of everybody. Or so. to be quiet because if you're quiet, yeah, you, you just, don't get made you fun know, of. yeah, you just shut up and you know, and just pull back. So how did you get <clears> through all of that? I didn't go to school. Mm, okay. I, ne- I would do what we call nicking off. Ditching. Truancy. Ditching. Yeah. yeah. So I'd just disappear and I'd go into the fields where the cows were and the horses and I'd, I felt much better there mm. until my parents found out. And then I had to go back to school for a bit more. <laughs> and so did you eventually, I don't know if it's called graduate there, but did you eventually finish? Heck no. No? <laughs> okay. I left school at 15, properly, you know, under, because my parents said, you know, if you're not going to go, we can't make there's no money. point, yeah. you know, so you need to get a job. So uh, that, that was where it all started for me. Academically, I was, the best things I could do, I used to like, writing, uh, still do, literature, stories. But again, that was kind of canned a little bit because we had a Latin teacher and the Latin teacher was another obnoxious person and I didn't like Latin, I couldn't see the point in it. And it's hard. It is hard, but you know, and especially as a kid, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, so I I suffered it. (laughs) So I I suffered that for a while. Then I wrote a story about him in an essay. Well, I didn't, it wasn't meant to be about him. It was just about a Latin teacher. And it was in my essay, my homework. I turned it in. Well, the point was that, unfortunately, the Latin teacher was hung in my story. Huh? And hung, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I have it somewhere. My dad left it for me when he, before he died. He said, I, I kept this for you because I know how much it meant to you, this story. <laughs> I'll have to read it again. but. Then I got called into the headmaster's office and back then, you know, like, punishment was punishment. You had to put your hands out and you get caned. Physical punishment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't, you know, you didn't put your hands out this way. You put your hands out that way, you turn your hands over. So your knuckles are up. It's, and well, then it hurt more with the Oh, it breaks you, break yeah. your fingers. It hurts like hell. And that was the normal punishment for Oh, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. That was, that was the bright side of it. Yeah, that didn't endear me to the uh, school yeah so anyway eventually I I, I quit you know I kind of abbreviate that but the reason I kind of mention these things is when I've talked to people about these things before this is the instances that I see as bullying which I hate when I moved back to England when my parents we we moved back because of the troubles in Ireland at the time and this is back in the 70s when things really kicked off you know and yeah I got these two people two factions religions you know Protestant and Catholic we're all, we're all human beings, and I could never figure out, why can you not just you be do okay? You, I do I, and well, it. no, we're all human beings. I don't get it. So I had this wonderful, blissful idea as a kid that I can fix this. I really did believe, and I remember writing about it, and thinking, you know, it's bloody adults are stupid. They're all arguing about you. I can deal with this. So I'm gonna, when I grow up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these people and explain to them, you know, we can all, we're human beings. It's not about race. It's not about, you know, what club you belong to, what religion you belong to, what race you belong to. We're just human beings. That was my idea. Of course, now I get into the big wide world and I find, man, there's a lot of people with stuck in the ways about this and they just don't want to change because if you're not in my club, if you're not doing what I do, then you're different. I don't want to be different. You need to be like me. And it's crazy. So when we, we moved back to England, that was kind of what I was carrying with me. And what age was that? I'd be in my teens, late teens. And, and it was a family decision? You all? Yeah, we, well, his dad said, you know, it's not safe. 
because we are in fact British. And I was accepted being younger, and but I was still known as a Brit. So I did get a little bit of the backlash, but my mates were my mates, you know, and we, we, we still got on all right. But then when you find out your best friend gets tarred and feathered, that's pretty rugged. You know what that is? No. They tie you to a lamppost and they pour tar over you and then they throw a bunch of feathers over you. It's a punishment. And it's one grade In below. Front of people, I'm oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not good. And the point of that is to embarrass the person? Uh, to scare you into not doing things. You were seen as whatever it could have been. It could have been a snitch for one faction of, you know, the extremist groups. Yeah. There's extremists on both sides. So yeah. so when we moved to England, I thought, oh, well, you know, going back to England, back to the good old north of England. But now I'm a paddy, you see. Because they say, oh, you come from Ireland, you're a paddy, you're an asshole, you know, and then you get that. So now we're back, and I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, I'm only in my teens, and I don't get a break. Yeah. I don't fit in. I'm an outsider again. When it sounds like there was a lot of, like, physical punishment Oh yeah. there. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, it was the same back then. I mean, we were talking a long time ago. I mean, 55, 60 years ago, I don't know. It was the norm, so... Again, I didn't, I didn't sit well. I was at school a little bit, but it, I quit. Again, it was just, I was getting into fights. I was getting into rocks all the time. I didn't want to be, but when you're a big lad, they say, well, you're a big lad. If I knock you down, I get to be the bigger lad kind of thing. So we had to deal with that. You're, you're an Irishman, you're a paddy. I'm not, I was born here, I don't care. <laughs> and so it goes on. So that's where I thought, I'm sick of this. I, you know, I don't, want to get involved I'm not that much involved in fighting but I was getting a real short temper and it would it would light up at the moment's notice sounds understandable well it was in a way but you know in hindsight I had a really good friend and I always remember this I had a really good friend Shauna who was you know we were as close as close could be but one time we were together and we we're discussing, we were mocking about, and my mates, the other mates were mocking around and we we're laughing and joking and that. But then he got a bit stupid, he got a bit silly and started getting a bit rambunctious. And I said, I'll quit it, will you? And he just, he said, ah, oh, oh, you're a paddy, you're this, this. And I, it just set me off again. And I slapped him as hard as I could. I didn't want to punch him, I slapped him, knocked him down on the ground. And he wasn't expecting it. And I really didn't want to do it, it but it just happened because yep. I lost my temper. And I lost my best friend. So I thought, you know what? I gotta get a hold of this. So I thought, my friend, another friend said, you ought to go to this martial arts thing, learn martial arts, it'll teach you some discipline. He was an older lad. What kind of martial arts? Well, I looked around, he says, this guy's doing uh, Kung Fu. And this was before the big blow up of, I don't know, going into your era, maybe Jackie Chan type. Before that, there was Bruce Lee and right. all that. Yeah, before it became a big deal. So this fellow was supposedly taught in China. Uh, he was an English guy and he was taught in China, so he said, but he ran this thing in the YMCA. So I went down, thought, well, okay. So me and my mate, another mate, we both signed up. And you were like 20? No, 20? no, I was only... Still teens? Still in the teens, yeah, you know. And I, I thought, well, I'll do it. And sort of enjoyed it up to a point, but again, sometimes these people in positions of power control they just get a little bit over the top with their what they're doing so you you would be standing there in a line and then they would come up and 
you'd have to have your hands, you'd be standing there with your legs apart in a, like a squat position, which was meant to be like showing you you can hold that position. You put your hands behind your head like this, and then they come out and they say, tense your stomach. <laughs> and they punch in the stomach. <laughs> And you're and, supposed to just take the blow. Yeah, okay, and then you do it again. And they just keep doing that. And they, you know, some of the guys, you know, the older ones that have come around, they just, you know, give you a bit of a dig. You're knowing, you know, like you're just a kid, you know, it's not going not gonna to hurt you that much. But then others would take advantage of because they were just sadistic buggers. And they'd pummel Did they pummel you. Did you explain what that was supposed to be teaching? Oh, yeah, it was to, te <laughs> it was to teach you discipline that you could take something and not suddenly blow up. You, you know, Johnny Boy here doesn't blow up in his quick temper and can take a punch and get stronger. Oh, that's bullshit. Anyway, so that went on for a while. And then there was another time I was there for months and months, you know, kept trying, kept going and trying. And then one time I remember we were doing this exercise, we were squatting on the floor in, like with your legs, your feet together, you're sitting in squats. And then what they would do, the bigger guys would come up and they'd do press-ups. They'd put you there, be facing you this way, and then you, they do press-ups, supporting on your knees, so your knees, would, every time you did a press-up, you'd bet push down. Then they'd tell you to put your legs out and splay your legs out like that. And then they'd come behind you, say, lean forward, and then they'd sit on your back, and, and they'd say, we need you to be able to reach and touch your toes. Well, they get that far, and then they bounce on your back. Oh, and no. you think, Jesus, this is killing me, is this? But you get to where you could touch your toes. But, you know, you know because of the, some of the things that you do biomechanically and physically and that, all you're doing when you're doing that is tearing. Yeah. You're ripping and tearing, and then when it heals, it shortens. So after that, I remember going home the following morning, I tried to get out of bed, I could barely walk, and my dad says to me, what the hell have you done? I said, I don't know, but... I feel my like everything's gone because <laughs> all the ligaments were torn and one thing so I decided I'm not going back there I'm going to find somebody else so I went from this kung fu thing to this other wadaru karate which was okay for a time but then I found out this guy's a real sadist <laughs> he was a sadist he was nasty and he loved nothing more than pouncing around you know in the pubs and then he'd set up a rock and fight with, you know, and he was handy. He was pretty damn handy. And we were just babies with beginners. And then he'd, we'd have to support him and he'd have adults that he'd step fights off with and we'd have to be there and try and get him out of it. You know, it's like. Yeah, it seems like. A lot of fighting. A lot of fighting and a lot mm. of physical altercations just kept. Yeah. Even though you were trying to find a solution to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find a solution not to fight. Yeah. And I'm, now I'm getting in more fights than I ever had Did with guys who were worse. Did it ever occur to you at that time to like seek mental help? Help? <laughs> no. No. No, I wasn't that depressed. <laughs> well, it doesn't necessarily have to be depression to get that kind of help. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> what with the anger issue? No. I figured I'd control it. I was lucky to find another guy who was a teacher, and he taught Shotokan karate. Now that's where it all blossomed from there. With then we suddenly, the discipline was important. The respect before you start your lesson you show discipline you show respect to the people who've gone before you to your partner to the people you train with when you do fight and you compete you show respect to your partner before and no matter what who wins or loses you show respect and thank you for the competition and so on and so forth so that set me on the correct path and that i don't know it took me three four years 
and uh, I qualified up to black belt first down. So I stuck with it. And then I got into my 19, 20, I got the second down. And then it went on, 20s, and I opened a club under the auspices of this teacher. And uh, we worked together for years and years, still know him. He then said, you know, you should open your own club now. You know, and I said, all right, that sounds good to me, thanks, you know. So off I did, set up my own club. Then I set up another club. And then I was basically teaching martial arts. And you saw this as your career path? It sort of fell into my lap like that, but I didn't plan it. Mm -hmm. Because I was in, I love music. And I was trying to get in this work as a band, as a singer. But life got in the way of that. After that, I got, you know, I'm very much on track. I have my son, my younger son. Everything's pretty good. And I got a request to go to the army, the military, to teach on armed combat with martial arts more. And back then again, it wasn't that, you know, I mean, the army had their own deals and so on. But because it was a different thing I was doing, I got into that and the unarmed combat more. So I started there. So I was teaching on an ad hoc basis, going in every week or so, teaching the, you know, the local battalion. So then they said, well, we'd actually like you, if you would, if you, to sign up and join the Territorial Army, the Reserve Army. And I said, well, I, I've got my own business. I've got the clubs and all the rest of it. Yeah, well, you can do, it's all right, you can do that. It's kind of like it is over here, I guess, where you can, you go away for a week, two weeks. You do basic training, three weeks or whatever. And so that was good. I enjoyed it. So I was in for QLR, Queen's Lancashire Regiment. So did horse, were horses in your life at all? Yeah, just mucking about riding them. Okay. Yeah, I just go to the farm and, you know, no, no schooling, nothing like that. Just enjoyed riding, that's yeah. all. And just for the hobby. No, hell no. No, no it's too hell expensive no. in England. It's expensive everywhere. It's a, oh, but yeah, but in England it was just something that you might aspire to, but your first thing is you need to make a living. You know, we didn't have any spare cash and money like that, so, but you know, occasionally. But you found a way to ride some and to yeah. mock and different things. Yeah, and then I took lessons, traditional lessons, you know, with a dressage team trainer, you know, the old gal who would, you wouldn't get your reins. You were, you two, she would have you on the lunge line in the barn and lunge you around. So you'd walk, trot, canter, and you had to do this and this and this, all the kids stuff, you know. So that was good. That, that gave me a good grounding and uh, got better and better at that. And then I just wanted to hack out. I just liked riding out in the fields and stuff. So I'd do a little bit of that. But the other thing, the martial arts was the thing that kept me busy. Got so far with the military thing that CO, the commanding officer of the battalion said, we want to recommend you and this one other guy to 23SAS, SAS Special Air Service, which is a bit like your uh, Green Beret Navy SEALs kind of thing. Okay. And I thought, well, this is cool. This is really something else. Um, yeah, I'd like to go for it, you know, because again, it's a challenge, it's a test. If you can make it through, you know, even though it's in the reserves. Is it and was it like you at the time to say yes to things? Yeah, it's got to be something that's in your heart, not something, you know, if somebody says, here, do you want to play this trumpet? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want to go fight this person? <laughs> How much for? <laughs> yeah, so that kind of, that was the draw for that. But just prior to this, I'd got asked by another friend who was in the martial arts, he said, they're doing this movie, 
and they're looking for somebody who can set up, create a fight scene, which is not something that's been shown before. Not one of these damn, you know, but something really rugged and this and the other. And, and the stuff you know, maybe we could incorporate it. So do you want to meet the producer? I said, sure, yeah. So it was in Manchester, it was only 50 miles away. So I, I had a motorcycle, I rode the map bike to Manchester and met the guy and he says yeah okay we're gonna all it is is you have this fight scene with a hero and uh, you create the fight scene uh, the main thing is he wins he whops your ass and that's you done I said sure it sounds great so I'm actually getting gonna get in the movie oh yeah yeah it's an independent feature yeah so you're the person that he's fighting yeah I'm the part yeah choreograph the fight yeah I choreographed the fight and uh, the film was one of the first cult movies in Britain on that genre of really crazy stuff. The story was he's a doorman, a bouncer. I don't know what you call him, yeah, doorman over bouncer. here. Bouncer. He ran this club, and then you know this club was then run by another gang and this, and then they did this and that and the other. And I was the guy that came in and just like got all loud and stepped up the hero and got rowdy, and then he just pasted me, and that was it. So I had one line. They gave me one line. What did you say? Well, he, he came up to me and uh, very. I'm at the bar, you know, knocking him back and being rowdy and one thing. You know, then he comes up to me and he says, uh, "Okay, that's enough, sir. You've got to leave. You've had enough to drink." I turn around and say, uh, "Nobody tells Big Nick Rafferty how he's had enough to drink." And I <laughs> swing at him, and then the fight ensues and so on and so forth. So that's we fun. did it. It did was you good. Get nervous? Yeah, yeah, I thought, what the hell, it's, you know, cameras, what do I do, you know, yeah. now, I go now, I go, no, not yet, John, not yet, I go now, <laughs> How so, fun, though. It was fun, and then they called me up about a week after, and they said, uh, the director wants you for another scene. I said, oh, what doing? Well, in this scene, you're going to get shot and killed. I said, oh, okay. I've not been shot and killed yet. I've been beaten up, but not shot and killed. Yeah, you know, it's like... Right. <laughs> you know, that stuff, you know, like... Which so, is cool, it's different than your actual fighting in the past because you had to learn how to make it look real. Yeah, and a lot of it's angles. So, you know, I really got into learning, like, okay, so... Yeah, it's no good just fighting. You've got to have the camera jerk. set there. Yeah. And your head's got to move the moment I pass with this punch and your head's got to jerk off that way. And if the timing's off or the angle's off with the camera, it looks like crap. Mm -hmm. So, there are all these little things. All it was, I was... I was coming out of the club and I saw that they were going to shoot the hero and for some reason, I'm not sure, I still don't know why, but I, as that character, as Nick Rafferty, thought this is not right, they shouldn't be shooting him. So I ran and pushed him away and got shot myself. Okay. So now I'm a little bit of a hero as well as a villain. And I had a dying scene where I'm lying there and he's cradling me and all this kind of things. It was my first dying scene. Oh, I made a big noise. Uh, yeah, very <laughs> dramatic. Oh, God, I was there for a long time. Blood yeah, I, you know, yeah, you know, just kept sitting up. I'm not dead yet. I, <laughs> <laughs> the director came over and said, I think you're dead now, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. It's time. That's so fun. So that... Yeah, so the, the reason I mentioned that bit was because after when I got asked to do the two, three sass thing and, and go down, I was scheduled to do it way after this, but the following weekend after the CO had told me, and the same director and producer called me up and they said, we're doing a movie. And the guy who's doing it was, was going to play the, the, this villain. He can't do it. Oh. And we thought about you. 
I said, oh, wow, thanks, man. Great, terrific. When is it? I love being good. Yeah, it's this, uh, this next weekend. This next weekend? I said, I can't. I'm, I'm going down to Hereford. Uh, it's, it's the selection for two, three sass. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I'm sorry, mate. You know, but, uh, you know, why, why do you have to do it this weekend? Well, it's not just the weekend. We're, we're, we're going away. We're flying away. We'll be away for, I think he said we'll be away for three weeks. I said, oh, uh, so any chance I can kind of catch up? Whereabouts are you going? This is Barbados. I said, oh, I'm thinking he might be filming like around the corner in Manchester right. or somewhere like that, you know, because <laughs> yeah. we just did this other one in Manchester, Barbados. Do you want me to go to Barbados? Well, yeah, that's why we were calling you. So give me a minute. <laughs> I'll call you back. Put the phone down. I turned to my wife, Joyce. I said, look, I explained all this thing that's going on. She says, well, just do it. You don't bother with the two three sass thing. Just go for this. I said, "Yeah, but I, I, I could be part of the two three sass." She said, "It's a reserve army thing. This might be a career thing. This might be a big thing, yeah." And it's Barbados. Yeah, it is an attraction, is that okay? So let's. Oh, right. so I call them up. I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." All right, good. So that's how that started. So like going from nothing to somebody who has no acting experience, no screenwriting experience. No experience at all. Ship off to Barbados with the happy crew and the cast. We get there, we can get to Barbados. We start filming. We, we spent two weeks in Barbados. We went to go to Grenada, near, near by Ireland, for one week, and then come back, back to Manchester, and that's that done. Three weeks, great. Two weeks in Barbados, filming, filming, all going well. Fly to Grenada, get arrested. To get arrested. For Why? What? For what? Just for looking mean and mercenary like. You specifically got arrested? Oh, well, Everybody? all these guys <laughs> looked a bit like me, big guys, and we all come off, we shaved heads, and all the rest of it get off the plane. And, and they, they arrested you for looking? Well, well, I didn't realize at the time, but at the time, the Russians had put a bunch of Cuban soldiers on because it was all that, you know, the, the, the tentative thing, it was in the 80s where there was all kinds of things going off between Russia and Cuba and America. Well, we landed there right in the height of all this and there's all these Cuban soldiers there and they were at the airport when we arrived and they thought we were American mercenaries about to infiltrate everything and trying to find out what's going on. So all they we, need to do is listen to you talk and then they'll... Well, they didn't know. They were Korean. Right, what are they going to do? You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. And uh, so we, we were all right. We, we got let, we out, got let out. We get to this hotel. It's, oh, man. I tell you, Sean, this hotel is called Secret Harbor in Grenada. And they said, this is where all the top stars, Paul Newman stayed here and all the rest of them. Wow, this is fabulous. It's just paradise. There's a beach right there. White sand, blue. Oh. And then the producer comes and says, uh, we've got an issue and you might be able to help out because you said you like writing. I said, yeah. He said, well, we've been approached by the Grenadian government and told we, they will let us film. They will let us continue to film. But they don't like the script because it was like a James Bond spoof. I was going to play this Russian. Well, I, was, I did play this Russian commander, a spy. And he 
was the hero was uh, an English guy. It's kind of like a... Do you not remember Roger Moore? Do you ever remember him and played James Bond years ago after Sean Connery was Roger Moore? Anyway, he was a very kind of posh hero. Well, the lead, Brett, looked a, kind of that kind, and I looked a bit rough and ready. And uh, so I'm playing the Russian, he's playing the hero. And then there's another guy who wrote the script, and he was pissed off because he didn't want them to change the script. And they said, well, it shows the Russians in a bad light and we need it rewriting so it's not just as bad. He said, I'm done, I'm gone. So he left, he quit. So that's why the producer said, look, you've done some writing. And I said, well, yeah, but I didn't write the screenplay. He said, well, help us out with this. We need to rewrite the story a little bit and then present it. So I rewrote the script a little bit, presented it. We went to the Grenadian government. They accepted it. We continued filming, we finished the the shooting of the film. We were there about a couple of three weeks. Went back to Barbados before we flew home. The moment we landed in Barbados, that's when the US invaded Grenada. So we got out just in time. Oh, wow. And they, How dramatic. They knew. <laughs> that's why they, they arrested us in the first place, because they knew there was something coming. Something so, was happening. Wow. Yeah, so timing. There's an interesting story. Yeah. And so... <laughs> This was exciting to you, it sounds like, all mm. of this writing and acting and yeah. all of that. So did you think this was going to be your path? Well, it got me. It bit me. I wanted it. I said, I like it. And What did you, you like about it the most? I think it was the fact that you create this character and then you become this character. But then you can shed that skin and then just be normal again. Mm -hmm. So you can go and do these crazy things. So then I thought, okay, I gotta learn something here. So I went back to England, obviously. And in Manchester, the north of England, there was Granada Television were running a workshop. Joan Plowright is Laurence Olivier's wife at the time. And she set up a drama workshop in the town and I joined it and uh, learned some skills, theater, TV, a little bit of TV. And I thought, right, I can do this. And then I got, where I did a couple of plays. Did you audition for things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then you you know you got to do a couple. You, you audition, you get it, you don't get it. Did some plays, and it, it developed from there. And I got more and more serious about it. Learned more and more. And then there was a, an opportunity where they said we're we're doing the play Tennessee Williams Streetcar Named Desire, and it's with Susanna York. Now Susanna York is a famous actress from way back. A wonderful lady, an incredible talent. And they said, we want you to play opposite her as Mitch. So you've got Stanley. If you, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Streetcar, but Marlon Brando played Stanley. Carl Malden played Mitch. The probably names you don't even remember. That's okay. <laughs> so I would, to get to play Mitch was a big thing. And, and to get to play opposite Susanna York in theater was stunning so we did that for I think that was a six week run and then they picked me up to do another play on the back of that and then from that I got asked to do something in London in the West End that wasn't as good but it got me down to London and then I ended up in the English National Opera <laughs> Oh, interesting. What a turn. I feel like you've had really drastic turns in your life. <laughs> yeah, well, that didn't go too well. Because basically all I was, I wasn't doing anything. It was the opera. It was Aida. 
And I wasn't doing any singing or anything like that. I was a friggin' spear carrier. I just came on with a spear. How did you get that gig? Well, I needed the work, so I got an agent, and he said, look, well, I can get you this gig, but you've got to do the English National Opera, and you're going to also do the other. There's two plays, two performances. One is Aida, and another one is Aknaten, with Philip Glass's music in Aknaten, and you're going to do that and this. I said, okay, and then, you're going to do a play in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. All right, okay, so I've got the gig, so I'm not going to turn it down because it gets you into London, it gets you seen, gets you around. You never know who you'll meet. Or you don't, know, no, especially in the pubs. <laughs> so it was all good until one night I was so bored with it. You know, it's a six, again, a six week run, and every night basically I'm going out standing in different positions on the stage with a spear or something else, or running across stage or something with carrying a spear. Though this particular performance, we all six of us lined up with a spear. And then the principal characters came out and, and sang and blasted out their operatic thing. And God, and I'd been on the lash the night before. I'd been drinking like pretty heavy. So I'm like, and I put the other hand on the spear. And then I thought, shit. I woke up. Oh, you fell asleep? I fell asleep and <laughs> I woke up and no, nobody's on the stage except me. What? And I hear, get off the stage. And I'm looking around. <laughs> oh my God. What the? Did you laugh in that moment? Uh, no, I was terrified because I thought, oh man, what am I doing here? And what's happened in this moment? Did, as, every, as the audience left, and I'm like giving a sideways look and looking at this huge, I mean, it's huge, is it? It's, the audience was it's still full, there, right? and they're watching, <laughs> and there's a few, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> of course, I got off, and then the production managed to give me hell. Did, was that the last time? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 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 you might have been fired after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so, anyway, it all was all right. So, yeah. with this whole time, did you have horses at all? No. Okay. So then how yeah. did horses eventually... I, I just rode horses for fun in England. Then I was doing a movie in Israel. They asked me to do another one. I said, okay, if you want to do me to do this other movie, this is in 1990, 90, 91. I said, I want to go to America and bring my family. I have three boys, a wife. And they said, well, we'll give you a three-picture deal. Yeah, we'll set you up. Okay. Why so did the, you want to come to America? I figured it was a better opportunity for me and the lads at the time. I thought I in like. In terms of education. Well, not education, but in terms of opportunity. Like, I, I figured, you know what? It's this bigger place. There's more things going on. You have this idea, this romantic idea about maybe I'll go over there and just be a cowboy as well as act. You know that kind of crap. Did you have a specific? location in mind in the US? Well, just anywhere in LA, you in know, because that's where, you know, that's where Canon, Canon Films headquarters is there. That's who were sponsoring me. So they got me an H1 visa. We all shipped over, eventually shipped over in 92. I was working on another movie project with them, writing and acting. Okay. So I was at screen, screenwriting for one play, one film and acting in this other one. And again, I got to play up there. It was the B movies, you know, so it's not like you're doing an A picture movie, but I got to up there, I was playing the lead, the lead villain. 
always the Were police. you always the villain? Not always, no, because Mitch wasn't a villain in okay. Street Card. But a lot of times you were yeah, the villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. Yeah, because, you know, you can act it all out and you get rid of all your frustrations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a great yeah, you know, therapy. Sure. <laughs> I think that's what it was, therapy. Except you get paid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the, the person you just killed will come back to life. Right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, so then they said, um, it was my CPA, she says, you you know, you like horses, don't you? Because you got, oh, at that point, I bought myself a horse, that was it. Okay. There was a movie called Lonesome Dove, a TV series with Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And the lady, my CPA, knew the Wranglers on that movie, and they, they said, you know, he's looking for horses, John. So I got with them, and they said, well, here's this horse, he's, he's called Hud, H-U-D. And it was Robert Duvall's horse in Lonesome Dove. I said, ah, great, I'll buy him. So I bought him, bought my horse, my wife a horse. And that was the start of it. And then the CPA said, you should go and see this guy, Ray Hunt. I said, uh, Ray Hunt, I don't know. He said, yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing. I think you'd like him. And I said, okay, where's he at? And he said, well, he's, he's going to be down at Bob Wagner's ranch, Robert Wagner, the actor. He's in Malibu. So he's doing a four-day deal, four-day clinic. I said, okay, I'll have a take. I'll go down and take a look. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And just to connect with a good horse person? Yeah, she, they were so, you know, uh, enthralled by him. I figured, well, I know you. You you are real people and you're true. I, I trust you, so I want to go and check him out. Now, bearing in mind on this genre, I'd, all my previous training had just been pretty much... Uh, Backyard? Well, backyard and, and very old school, traditional, you know, get on and go and kick them and, you know, if they don't go and pull on them and all this kind of thing. So I, I went down and I, I saw this, <laughs> I'm saying old guy, probably in his 60s, I'm 70 now, but he's... At he's, the time it felt like... It felt like, yeah, this old guy sitting on a rock talking to people. He's got a horse here and he's just sitting on this rock and he's... And I thought, oh, well, I wonder if that's the guy. I said, is this that Ray Hunt? Yeah, that's Ray Hunt. Okay, all right. So I wandered over, listening to him talk, and thought, man, this guy's really interesting. He talks about horses like they're something special. <laughs> you know, like, for me, like, all animals are special in a way, but I didn't think there was anything, like, so remarkable. You know, they're just good fun to be around and ride and that, but he started going off into his if you like his philosophy of it. And I thought, this is really, really interesting. So that I got more and more and then listened, then he started and then he took some horses into the round pen of Bob's place and started moving them around. And then he got on his horse and then he started moving around from horseback. And I'd never seen anything like this. I thought, man, what, this is amazing. And then he got off his horse and saddled one of these horses up. Then I saddled another up, and then he had four or five horses in the, and a couple of people helping him. That worked out really good. I was watching, and then I just watched how he moved with his horse, and I thought, he's got one hand on this flag, and he's just, the horse is going where he wants, it's stopping when he wants, it's moving back, it's going forward. There's no wrestling, there's no pushing and shoving and jerking and spurring. It's just like, he's in tune. So, um, I came home that night and I said to Joyce, I said, Dan, this is amazing. This guy's incredible. I'm going to go back tomorrow. She says, well, are you not supposed to be going into L.A.? I said, it'll be all right without me tomorrow. I'll, I'll call in, you know. So I called the office and I said, look, 
I got some business to deal with, and I'll, you know, I'll be back on Monday. Yeah, I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta think. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds kind of like your character as well. You're gonna do what you're gonna do, and you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went down and Friday, watched again, and then Saturday, and it was great. And that was the first thing, and I got talking to Ray a little bit and asking him the probably most inane dumb questions, but he was very patient with me and just, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do this, that, and the other. So that was the first time. Then I, he was gonna come back in about three months' time. I was still kind of enamored by the whole thing, but in between this, I'm working back and forth and going back into LA and going to Canon and, you know, screenwriting a little bit and so on, building up for this next show, this next film. And then um, the, um, CPA, she called me and says, Ray's coming back to Bob's place and we're, he's asked, would we film him do some cult starting? Because he wants it there, because there isn't it. Kind of yeah. So I said, well, what do you want? She says, well, do you want to help? I said, hell yeah, I'd love to, great. What, what are we doing? She says, I don't know. But maybe you could talk to Ray. How? Well, talk to him, find out what he really would like. So, uh, yeah, all right. So I went and talked to Ray and the other guy that was with me. Um, he was involved with the film and getting all the equipment, the cameras, and all this, and organizing that. And we both would sit and talk with Ray about things. And my deal was, I'd say, how do you want it presented, Ray? And he said, I want people to see. I want people to look and see the things I'm seeing. You've heard me. You've heard me say, did you see that? I'm, I'm moving this horse. Did you see that? And I said, yeah, and I don't see a lot of it, Ray. I, I don't see it yet. He said, that's the problem. But it's in the moment. But maybe if you, it's in a film and you can play it back and then see it again, maybe you'll see it then. I said, yeah, sounds great. So when we film this, you, it takes a long time. When you start, you put the, you know, saddling the horse, get them used to this and get them used to that. I don't think we should, do any of this stuff like we'll show the highlights no I don't want that I want everything good I said because that's the only way people are going to learn you're on the right page John I said yeah great so we got on like that I said yeah that's how we're going to film it it's going to take hours and hours of film yeah, it's okay I don't care you tell me you tell me where you want me to be and I'll be there well we're going to go in that round pen right I'll go and get my horse bring some horses in so that's how it started so we camera set up there camera set up there sound mic Ray up, off he goes, and he, he's so used to it, he knows what he's talking about, it's easy for him. Okay. Just like, I'm comfortable doing it now, but back then I wasn't, I don't know, you know. But So he'd set off and he'd be working the horses and I'd be filming and that. What well, the first day we went through and I said, how's it going, John? I said, it's going great. I think you're gonna love this, but it's gonna, there's a lot of hours of film. It's all right, you, see you tomorrow. All right. Cool. So the next day, gets all the horses out again, another four or five horses. And uh, so we got, got some riders, these people that he knew who were trainers, already existing trainers. And he said, right, uh, they're gonna help me. So, because I'm gonna run them, move them around and flag them and you know, all that kind of thing. All right. So we, we set it up. And then the next day or the ni that night, that evening before we went, this is, Chris tells me you got a horse, a young horse. I said, yeah, he's a three-year-old. I just, have you got him going? I said, well, not really. I just kind of put the saddle on and get him used to that, but I haven't done any more yet. Bring him. 
What? Bring him. Oh, what? Bring him in. What? And join in? Hell yeah. So I could go home and I said, um, terrific. So go home and I said, I'm going to take my horse tomorrow, Joyce. <laughs> she said, do what? I said, I don't know. Maybe ride him. But he's not started yet. I said, yeah, no, but maybe under this, it'll help, you know. So, yeah. so I can take my horse. We get in the pen. We get all the horses ready. And then we all come in, the four or five of us, and saddle the horse up. Okay. Give me your horse, John. So he's got the horses, right? And when you're ready, get on. Okay. So that you trust him. Yeah, I trust him. I believe him already. So I get on, and the horse is like, what's that? No, just pet him, pet him. All right, now, don't do anything. I'm just going to move him a little bit. So Ray's still got him, and he's moving this way, moving that way. Here, you give me the rope. Now, don't pull on that rope. I don't care what you do. You pull on the mane, you can pull on the tail, but don't pull on that rope. You got it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so off we go, and then he flags, and the horse takes off a little bit, and then... He goes and does the next one, and then they does the same thing, the next one. They all get on, so there's, I think, the five of us in. And uh, then he starts flagging us and moving us around. Same thing, don't touch, don't pull on that. You can pull whatever. Pull on the saddle horn, but don't put, pull on that rope. Okay, so we're going around, and then there's two paint horses, my paint horse and then this gal's paint horse. <laughs> and we, we kind of clashed, and both horses went and started bronking around. And I can hear Ray saying, don't fall off, John. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, I have no trying not yeah, to. That's my intention I'm like, is to stay trying on. Trying to get back in the saddle. And JC, the girl who's on hers, that horse bucked so mine horse didn't buck as hard as hers. Her horse bucked just straight up in the air. But she landed on her feet. Oh, wow. That's how good she was. Yeah. She was like talented. And then she, you're all right, JC, get back on. Come on, let's go again. And off we go. So that was my, I call it gladiator school. That was my gladiator school introduction. And then we did more filming. And then we did another round of filming. Then we said, okay, right, what have you got? Have you got everything you need? I, I said, we've got loads. We've got like four days, close to seven hours. So that's like 28 hours of filming mm -hmm. okay well we don't want it to be that long people are going to die yeah. i said but you said you wanted everything in well it's going to have to be serious but you know just cut out any waffle any crap you know any bits of this bits of that you know maybe where i'm talking about something that's not related to this oh okay so oh wait a minute who's editing this you are <laughs> okay right so i'm editing it all right my friend had a an editing suite a portable thing he brought that to me we put it in our music studio at home put it in there and I'm like okay how do you do this edit films yeah <laughs> all right so now I've got two screens I need another one I need three screens three screens please thank you so this one is that one that and this is the master all right and then I learned that side yeah, of it time you didn't get to Things, right? No, no, you had to read a damn book. <laughs> a whole book. A whole book, yeah. So, um, so we got it all put together and then presented it to Ray and said, Do you want to look through it? Yeah, I looked through it. So I looked through it. I mean, this is you know, over weeks. And then he came back and says, Great, let's put it together. Now, we need some music for it. Now, I was going to get, I can't remember who it was, some famous country singer to do it uh, but then his agent said 
he has to be paid. So I said, well, there's no money in this yet. So you write something, John. You're a singer, you, you write music. Team, huh? ah, damn I said right and you weren't getting paid for this at all this no is. no I was just because I loved it I yeah. wanted to learn more so you to me I, it was a labor of love it really was I just wanted to learn everything that he was doing did he have I know that there people knew about him but he didn't have as big of a name as he does now. well it, it was funny because you gotta die I know it sounds silly but Oh, it's a weird bloody thing it's like I know some friends who are musicians and like one guy he, he said I'm sick of this thing like of a friend of his a friend of his who committed suicide when he was younger because he was so sensitive as a musician and blah 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 and he wasn't a strong person anyway but he topped himself he killed himself and now he's fated as he's called Nick Drake if you've never heard of that but he, he's a lot of people. Oh, Nick Drake, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Oh, all this music. When he was alive, so, it was when he was alive nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. In fact, he was like catcalled when he was playing. You know, because he was he was so nervous. It took him ages to get where he felt comfortable to sing. Now his songs are. It's very unusual. He had a way of creating a song that was unusual. So, but his songs are loaded now. But he had to die. Why do you think that is? Oh God, I don't know. I tell you, it's weird. You know, it's like. Maybe, you know, it's like, oh, you know, like my, this last year, it's like Dave Crosby died. Jeff Beck died. Now all of a sudden, oh, we've got, well, he was bloody marvelous before, you know. Yeah. Now he's dead, you know. Anyway. Yeah, I wonder why that is. It's weird. It's a human thing. But Ray had a big, a decently big name when he was still alive. Oh, yeah. You know this whole thing about where people get to made sort of legendaries, like Tom and Ray, they're both legendary because they're so different. They're unique. And like Ray was talking about Tom, when I got to know Ray more, he would say, you got to go and see Tom, you know, you think I'm good? And I said, well, what's so good about Tom? He said, he knows. I know what a horse knows and when to do these things. But Tom knows what the horse wants and needs. And that's a bit deep. You know, I don't know. Do I want to go there? I don't know. It's kind of wants the needs, all right. So Did you it, end up going to the Well, he, he just he kept saying that, you know, and I... Oh, and then he, about the music thing, that was it. They said, um, so he's not going to write this song, so you write the song. So I wrote this song overnight. And this is the thing about when the moment's right. I write stuff, and I might write a song... And I wrote this 10 years ago, and I'm coming back to it and mucking about in the verse here and the line there. This thing, I just thought about Ray, listened to what the things he'd been saying over these last, the previous clinic, and then these four days we spent intensively. And I just thought of the things that he said and put it into verse and put it into rhyme. Did you write the music and the lyrics? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and it was just, it just came out. And it was so easy. And it's, I like it. Every now and again, we recorded it, and it's on the studio with a bunch of punk rockers. It's funny. Now this is the funny bit, punk rockers playing this. You wouldn't know, because it sounds countryfied. But every now and again, I say, I'd say to my son, Shaman, he's a musician, I want to redo this. I want to re do a better quality, because we kind of bit garage bandy that, you know. And is he said, it available? Yeah. What's it called? It's called the Wind in the Rain and Tail, in parenthesis, I raised song. So then Ray says, you know, Anytime you want to do a clinic, John, you're not paying. 
you you can do as much as you want, which was a hell of a gift, you know, because... him a lot, though, too. Yeah, but, you know, he could have just carried on. <laughs> with a, I would have I would have paid, you know, yeah, but... that's awesome. But that was great. But then he said, go and see... You know, I kept saying, you got to go and see Tom. And somebody else said, you got to go and see Tom. Here's his number. I said, you want me to call him? I said, yeah, just call him. So weeks went by. Then somebody else said it. I picked up the phone, dialed this number. Did you know what you were going to say? No. I was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say, except Ray should said I should call you and talk to you about horses. I don't know what else to say. You know, like, uh, so (laughs) that's what I'm going to say and see what happens. A lot of times I don't prep things like that. You know, I just think, okay, it's organic. It's either going to come out right or it's not. And that's the beauty of editing now, you see, because you can can edit out a lot of guff that I'm saying and just get to the meat. Well, that's how I go into this podcast. I don't really look someone up or Google someone. Yeah. Just because I want you to talk about what you want to talk about. So I go into this pretty free-minded. Good. (laughs) It's fun that way. So I get, and Tom answered the phone, and he said, yeah all right yeah and i said so i just wanted to know more about horses and that what are you doing i said well i'm like it's actor you know and we moved over here and blah 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 but i love horses and i really am amazed and astounded and the way that ray works with horses i just want to know more and but he keeps telling me i've got to come and see you and and i thought ooh, that was that was a bit forward and then he said yeah well come on up sorry Come on out, yeah. Bring a bring a couple of horses if you've got a couple of horses. I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, when? I don't know. When? When did you want to come? Uh, soon. <laughs> so we're Ray yeah. and Tom actual friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do it like that. If you read Tom's book, True Unity, the one of the earlier chapters, he says, or probably the beginning chapter he says honor this would be right if i didn't mention ray hunt because ray has got a great facility to learn and and teach and he's a great facility with horses and he says he you know i gave him a lot and did this and the other but all i did he had an itch and i taught him how to scratch it (laughs) and so he was always very you know, mild about things, but Ray, when I talked to him, I'd tell him things like that. He'd just shake his head and laugh and say, oh, yeah, right, yeah, some itch, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's, uh, let me tell you some stories about what Tom did to help me, you know, and he'd go off on telling me stories about how he had difficulties with horses, then he found Tom, and Tom would help him. Like, Ray was riding what they call the rough string for, for different outfits, different cow outfits. And they were the horses that nobody else wanted to ride because they were a bit rugged. Because these horses, you don't get them in as two-year-olds. They come in off the range at six or seven years old, big row-bone, you know, horses. And they're, they're tough. And if you don't approach them right, like Ray said, you'd have a contest on your hand and you don't want a contest. No. He had these horses and Tom would come. And I always like the story where he said, and Tom would show me things and he'd get these, these horses like tigers. They were wild, they were rough. and. Oh, they kick and they bite and they rear and they kick. And then Tom would get them all quiet and meek and he'd go in and they'd be mellow and gentle. And and then he'd say to me, right, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, go and I'll, I'll be back in a few weeks. And I'd say to him, well, 
you're welcome to stay. But no, I, I, I gotta go and I'll come back. And then as soon as he left, I got a bunch of tigers and they're going <laughs> raving and bucking and raving. They go right back to it. Damn it, I'm not getting this, I'm not catching it. And he'd come back again and he'd help me. And little by little, that's how he learned. You know, and he built this relationship with Tom and the two of them. They, they, were, they were just, I don't know whether it was a father-son relationship or just good friends relationship or brotherly relationship, but it was, I know that both men admired each other for what they did and what they could do. And they were just remarkable. There's nobody, nobody's come near them since. And that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of good people out there. I, I look at this idea of horses and knowledge, and to me, Tom was that big, strong tree. And that's the root of all that information and knowledge. Even though he didn't have the, say, scientific knowledge or something like that, inside of him, he knew what was inside the horse. And he knew how to get that. But it didn't come, he wasn't born with that. He worked hard at it. He learned it. Like he said to me, when I was on the ranch, up in Wallawa County, after all the boys, all the brothers left, Jim, Fred and Bill, after they'd left, it was just me and my elderly parents who weren't going to be operating physically anything. I was looking after them, maintaining the ranch. So I had to make sure I did the right things because if I did the wrong thing and I'm way out there with a horse or some horses and some cattle and this, there's nobody there to clean up. I'm done. So that's how I learned to be connected and get together with the horse. So that again, it made me realize this isn't coming from a place of some fancy training school in France or Europe. This is coming from the real world, which really attracted me, you know. Because again, I go back to the fighting thing. <laughs> the karate was okay up to a point. But, you know, in, in, the, in the competition, you don't make contact. You can kick to the body a little bit, you can punch to the body, but you don't kick, punch to the face and kick the face. So when I transitioned, I didn't tell you this bit, but I transitioned to Muay Thai, which is Thai boxing, where you actually kick people and hit them and elbow people. This is more to my liking because it's more real. Because at the end of the day, if I'm working a door somewhere, I need to take care of myself and I do not want to land on the floor. Because if I land on the floor, yeah, I might be really good at grappling, but in the meantime, while I've got there, he's got his mates and six of them come over and stand on my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, the actual physical stuff. I digress. So, <laughs> go back to horses, John. All right. So with that, with kind of the mentorships of Tom and Ray and all of that, when did you start teaching and clinicking? Well, I did a show in Australia called Roar. A TV uh, show? Yeah, it was a TV series. And it was showing in America, and it had Heath Ledger in was the lead, and I was his co-star in the whole thing. So it was a big deal, and it was going to be a big thing. But just how things work out, came back to America, and it was all big, and I was going to be this, that, and the other. And they had, they were, I went down to Universal, and they were giving me scripts to look at and all this. And this next show, this they were going to do another season of this show, but the head, the exec producer of, I don't know, it's CBS or Fox at the time, they, they changed. Fired him, brought in another guy. And literally, this is what happened. So this show, Roar, he, he was 
pushing that that was his baby was it cancel it so they cancelled the show and a lot of people wrote in and said you know what the hell do you cancel it for it's a great show so anyway that was that so that pissed me off so much I was so disappointed well that's kind of how it sounds like from what I've been told that's kind of how show business goes it is from one to the next you can have this huge career and then all of a sudden it's how it it's gone and it's out or yeah. you have this TV show that's going and going and going and then you don't have anything lined up next yeah and then you, you got to, and then you got to make sure you've got enough money to survive. So, at that point, I'd amassed a reasonable amount of money from doing these films, doing that show. But my heart had gone with the horses, and, and Tom. You ever put out the documentary with Tom? I mean, uh, with Ray. With Ray, yeah, yeah. It's called uh, Ray Hunt Cult Starting. It's a big. Well, it's on DVD now. They transferred it to DVD. It was something like five big cassettes at one time. <laughs> you know, the old cassettes. Yes, now it's a little small. Yeah. It probably is even streaming. Well, now, you, well, I don't think it's streaming yet because, you know, not everybody wants to catch up with that. But. So what I did, I said, you know, well, I've got all this money. I'm going to buy myself a ranch. So and my wife is marvelous. She just said, we're changing careers again. Yeah. <laughs> Let's and, go with it. Yeah. Because the other thing was when, I, even though I'd, trained and taught martial arts for so long in England I planned on coming over here to do that as a backup for the acting but the horses took hold and I never even opened a, gy a gym in in the US which is kind of funny because everybody was saying well you, you've got all these credentials you trained 13 national champions in, in the UK what the hell I'll change career I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna be an actor now I'm gonna be a horseman so I bought the ranch spent all this money on this ranch where was it? In Tehachapi. Okay. So it's in the mountains in Tehachapi, and we had this, it was a lovely place. Beautiful ranch, old place, lots of acreage. Neighbor was Jack Palance, the actor, if you know Jack. So Jack had more land. He was buying land all over the place. He was like, he just bought land. Just to have it? To have it, because he knew it was a great investment. So, so did I would, you start teaching at that property? That's where I started teaching, yeah. So I, I, I set up shop there, and. I thought, well, I'm gonna, I gotta prove myself. I'm gonna do everything that Ray did. I'm gonna start horses like he did, and I'm gonna invite people. Okay, weekend, Saturday, every Saturday morning, I'm gonna say, you come on up, bring me whatever horse you want, and I'll start it for you. Just because I've got to make a name for myself. For sure. It's free. So the couple of people that bring horses the one weekend, and I'd start them, and I'd do the usual, work them in hand a little bit, throw the saddle on get on them in the round pen, they'd shoot around and I'd do this, that and the other and then I'd ride them out to the arena and it worked good. Most of the time it went okay? Most of the time it went all right. <laughs> and then they, they you know, they kind of got wind of this and then some other guys in the town got a bit pissed off, I guess, and they'd send me some rogue that had hurt people and they thought they'd catch me out. But I, Ray had told me, watch for that because he said it'll happen. So I was kind of ready for it and I'd just be more careful and I'd recognize these horses as, well, it's not that they're rogue necessarily, it's just they've been Wronged. abused, you know, in their training. So I would set it up to the point where I would get the confidence. It'd take longer, you know, I might be doing, it might take me an hour normally, and it might take me three hours to get through this horse, but I'd still come through. Then I got kind of careless on some things, you know, like, one horse, they, they gave me the horse to put into training and I'd only just got a, this, it was a big warm blood mare and I got her going all right. Next day, I planned on working with her again and they called me from LA and said, look, we need you to come down. It's an audition. 
I said, I don't want to do them anymore. He said, no, this is really good. The casting director's asked for you. All right, okay. You know, when the casting director's asked for you, it's better to go down because usually it's, you might just get in a shoe in without too much fuss. So I went down, did my turn, came back, and I never thought about it. They called me again. They said, do you want to get back again? What, today? Yeah, so it's two days. So I went down again. Now I got the gig, I got the, the show. It wasn't anything major, but I got it. But I came back, now I have two days missing. I went, got back on that horse on the, I think it was a Wednesday, it was Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, I got back on that horse, not thinking. I thought she'd be where I left her. Yep. No, she was where the other guy left her. She bronked, she bronked, and I was, I had hold of the cantle board, you know, the back of the saddle. And I, hold, I wasn't holding her head. I'm barreling around and around, and I'm thinking, I've made eight seconds, and I'm not staying on this horse. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And then after a while, I'm thinking, Jay's. And I'm looking at my hand, and I've been holding that candle board so hard, I'd, all blood and all the skin oh had come God. off. <laughs> so it's full of sand now. <laughs> so they shipped me off to the hospital. Yeah, I've done the usual crack ribs and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. Didn't break any other bones, but it taught me a lesson. Take square one with you. That's what Ray said. I didn't take square one with me. I went to square three. Oops. <laughs> you learned that one time. And yeah, never, never yeah it was a, it was a good lesson. Was that? And then I just wanted to do more with Tom and Ray. So I'd follow Ray around whenever, and I got Ray to come and do clinics at the ranch, and then uh, I'd go up and visit Tom with some horses, and especially if I'd horse that was kind of difficult to deal with. I wanted his help. Then I started saying, you know, in my head, I thought, I ought to document this. Like so, your journey, you thought you should No, Tom, I needed, I needed him. I needed, I had Ray, yep. and I got all that footage, and we'd given it back to Ray, and he'd done that. But I said to Tom, I said, you know, it'd be good to really talk and maybe, you know, record it. Nah, I'm not bothered about that, John. All right. Why do you think he said that? because he wasn't bothered he didn't want any self-promotion he wasn't interested his whole thing was i don't look for it i'm here if people want me but i'm not going to look for it if they want me they'll find me i said no it doesn't work like that tom somebody you've got to be heard and seen or something no i'm okay so anyway at the time i got his book and i'd read his book and it was hard for me to understand as it is for most people at first so I'd take it up and I'd ask him things about this. What does this mean, Tom, a bit more? Oh, well, it's this and it's that, all right. So then I went back and I go home and it was six hours drive to Tom's place from mine. And I think, geez, it'd be great. This six hours if I could hear Tom. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna ask Shannon, the youngest lad, to re record me, just narrate his book. You know, it's an audio book back in the day before we had the big deal of audio books. So, right. He says, you were the first one to come up with audiobooks. I don't know, maybe, you know. <laughs> I said, Shannon, so he got this, he had an ADAP player, and he comes out with this, and a good microphone, and just sat there reading it, and said, okay, you blipped there, that's, we got to do that again. Oh, God, right, okay. So we got that, and I put it on cassette. And I would play it, going up to Tom's and listening, I'd think, oh, I must remember to ask him about that. Make a note as I'm driving. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Then I said to him, while I was up there, I was up for about four days, and I said, Tom, you know, 
I haven't done this for any other reason than to help myself, but I recorded your book and narrated your book. All right. Does it help? I said, yeah. And I think it would help other people. So, well, I don't know. You know, they should just read the book. I said, yeah, but nowadays everybody's traveling. People are going distances. And the thing is, you know what it's like. You're in your truck, you're driving somewhere, you might be going to a ranch, you might be going to a uh, shows. I know you don't like shows, but you know. Now you put in the cassette and you listen. Here's the cassette, Tom, I'll leave it with you. So I left it with him. Next time I went up, he says, it's a good idea, is that? Yeah, go ahead if you want. I said, what, just duplicate it? Yeah, and give it to whoever you want. I said, no, that's not the point. You can make a bit of money off this. Oh, I'm not bothered about the money. <clears throat> so anyway, what I did, I, I got it, recorded it, a quality again, just really went through everything. Took it to a duplication house. They duplicated it. We got a nice cover made, exact copy of the thing. Took it up to Tom. I said, there you go. I said, oh, that looks nice, does that? Yeah, it's good. All right. I said, there's another hundred here. Now you put them up for sale. Oh, I'm not. I said, well, I'll put them up for sale, but you're getting the money. So that's how it all went. So then it was Tom's audio book, True Unity, and he sold that. And it opened doors for people because some people don't want to just read a book, you know. Right. From each of them, what do you feel is the biggest takeaway that you incorporate in your clinics and your teachings now? That's kind of a big question. To look at the horse as a horse, to look at the human, and try and find the good things in the human. Because I can look for the good things in the horse, but sometimes I, if a human puts me off, they put me off to the point that I don't even want to look any further. And over the years, I've had to restructure that. Because I, again, it's just that idea of, if you really want to know, I'll do everything I can to help you. Because again, that's what I learned from Ray. He, you know, people would say, oh God, when Ray got older, he was so abrupt and curmudgeonly. But I didn't see that. I saw some people who were just doing the same old shit over and over again, and he was tired of them doing it. Because last year, he came this place, this venue, and they thing. attended, yeah. and you were doing that then, and you haven't learned anything. And then they'd ask him to give him more advanced moves, and he'd say, hell, you haven't even got these off yet. So he'd be abrupt, and he might be rude. But Ray's famous phrase, if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, I wasn't talking to you anyway. <laughs> So I, that keeps that in mind, and I think I will be straight with people. I don't mean to be rude, but I'll be blunt. I'm telling you something because I believe your horse needs this. Now, if you don't think it needs it, that's your job. It's fine. You can leave. I'll give you your money back if you want. I've been in clinics with Ray where he's kicked somebody out and told them, Carolyn, give the money back to him. Yeah. I've done that myself with lessons with people. It's usually come back around where they realize how foolish they've been. But it's generally because they've been abusing the horse in a way that I won't tolerate that. Especially if it's a clinic that I'm here, don't do it. Certainly not when I was teaching in my own ranch. Don't do it. I'll teach you on my horse. Don't even say my horse is stupid. Because <laughs> he isn't. I know he's good. And I know he knows. He just knows that you don't know. Right. And you need to understand that and pick that up. So. Now, Ray may have been more prickly, 
and Tom was quiet. So what, what Tom would do in a situation like that would probably just shut down and not say anything. And it would be a case of, well, either the human is going to realize that he's shut down and he's not going to talk anymore unless you can come around and like ask a more pertinent question and not just be derided on your horse. If it doesn't, well, he's not even talking to you anymore. So I learned those things from him, as you know, and that's handling people more. And two very different approaches. To yeah. It, which is cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. The, it's the yin and yang. I call it that for yeah. the both of them. Yeah, one so ebullient and outgoing, and the other one quiet. Yeah. Not not uh, not that he didn't have any more to offer. In a way, he had much more because even Ray had said that he has so much to offer, but I don't know what it is, and I'm trying to find it. And he'd say to all of us, he'd say, you know, I hope you can find it. And if you do, come and tell me, because I haven't got it yet. <laughs> and you think, oh, man, I'm, there's no way I'm coming to you, Ray, and saying, I think I've got it. <laughs> um, so why do, why do you think people come to your clinics? Well, I think they feel that I'm someone who can help them help the horse. And not just somebody who's going to, you know teach them okay this is how you want to do a reining spin this is how you want to do a half pass this is how you want to do a canter pirouette no they want me to help them understand the horse more and there's lots of people that can teach all these other things you know the you know the techniques this that and the other and that's good my heart's with a horse and i really want that horse to be happy and i don't believe horses are bad I don't believe horses are counterfeit. These terms that, you know, rogue, these terms come up about horses. They've been made that way if they are, if that's your opinion. So it's your job as a human to reconcile that and bring them back. It's like kids, oh, he's, he's a tearaway. You know, these damn adolescents, they're this, that, and the other. Well, where's the direction? Where's their support? Who let them be like that? Who didn't show them how there was another way? Who didn't show them the beauty in life outside of this frigging screen? Outside of this, I don't know, computerized thing? I'm not against technology. Technology's wonderful. I'll let it, I want it to work for me. This kind of stuff, it's great. If I, I would have loved to have had this with Tom, but instead I have like oodles and hours and hours of videotape, which I have to transfer. I have it and I'm working on it. It's 20 years later now, but me and my son are working on it. He's, the audio is not brilliant because the mic I used wasn't that good and the wind, like this wind would be going like that. Mine might be a little bit like that, yeah. but we'll see. <laughs> but, the, but he can reduce it, he can take it away. So he's working on that. We've got, I don't know how many hours he, he's gone up to now. He's got 40 odd hours of cool. stuff. But he's nearly got through. But it's been a, again, it's a labor of love because he's learning something. Shannon came up one time to visit when he was a young lad. He was, you know, playing in a punk band. And he came up to visit Tom with me because I wanted him to operate a camera while I was working with Tom. And it hit him as well. He said, and he doesn't, he's not interested in horses. It does, it's but not he's about the horses. It's about your life. <laughs> yeah. And it's about other people. And it's about everything around you. And that's what, you know, appreciation of that, appreciation of life. It's good. Life is beautiful, but there's a lot missed. And it's not that we're going all, you know, back to nature, woo, 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 blah, 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 but don't neglect what 
the beauty of what there is in the world for some something that's so um, fleeting yeah the other thing is for me is this deal where our focus is being lost we have a hard time as a as a as humans now reading a book reading studying phrases reading things that we're not quite sure about but want to know more about looking up we've got the facility now a wonderful facility called the internet which is like this huge library and i want to know more about this what does this mean i can just type it in and oh that's what that means that goes down there but it's a rabbit hole that i want to go down there's some people might think this is marvelous and then they just jump from one thing to another to another and they never learn anything they don't they, all their focus has been taken from them put into this fleeting stuff and then you've then the other side is where what are you where are you if you like your heroes where are your people that you aspire to be like some guy that's got lots of money some guy that drives a flash car some guy that has six girls on his arm you know where's your where's your thought where's your real feeling is that what you want you think you're going to be happy with that you won't be because it could get taken away from you like that and you don't realize all the other beauty around you yeah i'm waffling now <laughs> yeah, waffling. Um, let's go into the questions so yeah what is something within the community that you'd want to see evolve or change and then how can you help with that if you're not already one thing that going back to what i said earlier when i was a kid if i did say this i don't know um you know sometimes when i'm doing interviews i, I think did i say that for this sorry if i repeat Re myself it if you did. but when i was a kid i really thought i could change things when I was 10 years old in Ireland and I saw all this fighting, I thought, I can change this. You did talk about this. It was naive. You can't, because human nature is human nature. There are good people, there are okay people, and there are bad people, and there will always be that, because it's humans. That's how we are. We've come from a very violent past in many respects, and it's there, and we've got to control it. We've got to direct it. Just like I, my anger, whatever, it took me, years to get that under control but now I've, I think I've got it under control god damn it <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so with with the horse community I, I think when I you know like I don't like Facebook I don't like all that stuff but I got to be on there just to let people know what I'm doing I think people want well show us what you're doing with the horse no if you want to do that there's another page that I have or well it's a website not even, I don't know what it is it's some kind of thing where people Online can go platform. on yeah and they can go on they can see all these things that I've done where I've, I've started a couple of horses from nothing how I presented it yeah you can look at that or you can try and find some inspirational things that I've said on me reflections which I used to do every week they're all there if you want it if you're involved enough with it if you're keen enough but other than that just keep flitting from one thing to another and catching this butterfly and catching that one and put it in your pocket then pull it out and find it's dead oh i've got to go and find another one so now but the people like here this is like where people like i've known erin for years she, she has her own people and she teaches in a way that is in line with that with that empathy for the horse and the person so i like coming here and I like explaining this and then developing more and lifting this up. I go to some other places. If I'm in other countries or something, they know me. If they know me, they know where I'm going. I go to other places and they're expecting something else. Like at one time I went, uh, without naming names, I went to this work in equitation thing. 
and they they were all excited because they knew I did all the garocha work and all this, and they knew you know they'd see me ride this that, and the other. So when I got there, I said, okay, and it was a beautiful setup, fancy indoor arena with all this stuff, all the equipment, all the fancy bridges and this, that, and the other. I said, right, now let's just look at how you're operating. I don't need this, you're just going over here into this plain arena. I want to see how you move your horses. They were, I, you know, what are you going to do when you want to do a flying change around that barrel? You can't even pick up the correct lead. The little things are big things and they get worse if you just cram your horse so i'd, I'd start telling them and it was meant to be a, i think it was a three-day clinic <laughs> and i had say 12 riders on the first day four dropped out because it was too much because because and I was, i'm doing the best i can but you know oh it's just it's too difficult why is it too difficult because I'm, I'm not letting you run around, you know, going over the bridge and run around the barrel at the wrong way with your head, horse's head looking this way, meant to go that way. Third, second day, I had seven riders. Interesting. <laughs> so they had just dropped like flies. But that was that one place because they wanted to just do that. They had a different expectation. They had their expectations. And I said, you're not ready for it. You can't even turn your horse around on the hindquarters. How the hell are you going to be able to do a canter pirouette around that thing, that object. I, I did a cow clinic years ago at one of the, the ranches I had in Inukern, and they were all the locals. Oh, will you do a cow clinic? Sure, yeah. Same thing. I had cattle, 28 head. That was nothing big, you know, but it was there. And they're all out to trot. They get the, the horses out. They go in the arena. I said, right, you line up. Okay, walk your horses forward five steps. What? Walk your horses forward five steps. There. A few of them <laughs> like that. Now, all right. Now rein your horses back. He's gesturing strongly. I'm gesturing, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm doing what yeah, I keep forgetting. This is not video. So they're pulling and jerking on this horse to get him to step back. And the, and the horse's heads are thrown up in the air. I said, right. We're going to work on some skills before we go near cattle. Why? We want to write, We want to work on the cattle. You can't even stop your horse. You can't even get your horse to go forward. What the hell? So we started doing that. Well, that that lasted about. It was all right. But then we wanted another cow clinic the next week. That went all right. Then it fizzled because again, I was I was pretty hard on him and said, I'm not going to I'm not going to put you on cows because it's going to hurt your horse. You're jerk. You're still jerking your horse yeah. and pulling them and banging on them. <laughs> they called me up the week after after I'd said we're not doing any more cow clinics, and they said, "Would you do some mounted cowboy shooting?" I said, "Hell no, I'm not doing that." <laughs> That's yeah. Let's put a weapon into this. Oh, <laughs> the following week, this guy called me and says, "Ah, I wish I'd have listened to you." Yeah. I said, "Why?" I said, "I'm in the ER." My mare bucked me off. Why? <laughs> well, I went to this cow, this uh, mounted cowboy shooting thing, <laughs> uh -huh. and you didn't prepare your horse, did you? No, I didn't. I know I should have done, John. <laughs> At least then he learned. Well, he learned, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, now you get to ask me one question. Okay. Any question you'd like. Any question you like. Right, Shauna. What is it that makes you want to talk to people like me? I have always been fascinated with people's stories and how they got to where they are. Mm. I, from an early age, loved documentaries and personal stories of people and 
Um, I used to really like really sad documentaries just because it kind of brought me back to reality that as hard as my life was, there's always people that are going through harder things. Ah, right. But yeah, I've just really been fascinated with how people got to where they are. I think every single person out there, no matter if you're famous or just somebody living, yeah, everyone has such a cool story. They have a story. So, and yeah. it's fun for me to, you know, all my episodes are actually in person. I don't do anything over Zoom or over the computer. It's all in person. Yeah. Just because of a different connection being in person. Sure. Over a phone or. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a simple answer. I just, I really am fascinated with hearing how people got to where they are and the struggles and the inspirations and the the hardships that, and how they got through it and all of that. So. How many do you think you've done up to now? I'm almost at 100. That's great. How many, what's your top two that's really made an impression on you? I would have to say <clears throat> there's a man named Chris Ellsworth. Yeah. Do you know him? Oh, yeah. So I, Aaron and I just did his clinic last week. So yeah. he is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Just who he is, and he's a man of minimal words as well, it feels <laughs> like. So, and that was my first time meeting him. He came to my house and recorded with me, which yeah. was really cool. So See, Chris there, there's a good man. Chris is a good man, he's a good heart. There's a lot of clinicians out there that ego. I don't have a lot of time for him because it's, it is ego. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't care, he's just, I'm for the horse, yeah. the same. Yeah. And he has that manner about him and that way about him. And that's what makes, that's what makes a good horseman and yeah. a good person. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been one of my favorite episodes. And every episode I learned something and I yeah. have a cool experience or I'll travel to somebody and record with them and then come, you know, that's what yeah. So, But he's one of my favorite. And I have to say um, another, actually someone that I met here, Pippa Kalanon. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I just recorded with her a few months ago and her episode comes out in two weeks, I believe. Yeah. And she also just, what she had to say and her authenticity mm. and her love for the horse. Yeah. And her story is really interesting of how now she lives in France. She's from Portland, Oregon. And yeah. Moved to France and all of this. So um, she also was really profound for me and a cool experience. And it was my first time meeting her and talking to her. And then I dropped her off at the airport afterwards. That's great. And again, her too. Like there's not a lot of ego yeah. there. She just does what she does and she loves it. And you can tell I watched, I audited a little bit and then yeah. recorded with her. And That's But everyone great. is so cool. Like every single person, you know, again, I've been really fortunate where I've gotten to interview some famous people and some yeah. bigger clinicians and then some people who just have horses in their backyard uh -huh. and both stories just as profound as the other yeah it's just it's also how people tell their stories and how they're able to kind of present their stories sure so, yeah but awesome that's a good question but it's interesting yeah. it is yeah and the, the fact that you draw something yourself which helps you grow you know it's like that's what you want when you talk to people to me it's like conversations it's conversations are so important we used to that's something i really miss about being here back in ireland or england you go in the pub it's you're talking you know we're sitting around and the, you know there's not bloody sports screens and loud music we're sitting here with a pint and you know, Chatting. conversing and yeah. what happened with this? What do you think about that? And, and we might disagree, but it doesn't matter because we're not going to kill each other. Now we've got all this partisan division within so many things in the world. It's so sad and it doesn't have to be like that. But somebody has to say, stop, think. That's what Ray used to say all the time. Think, 
He had it on his saddle horn. Think, you know. I like that. And it's like, that's what you got to do. And you think, you observe, you compare things. These are all things from Tom. And then you you think, okay, can I ratify this? Does this make sense? But I'm going to be a little bit skeptical. I'm going to hold on to this because it might be right, but it might not be. So you keep searching and then little by little, we have more conversations with other people and you think, you know what? That belief I had, that was wrong because Shauna said this and uh, Chris said that and they kind of agreed and they were, that makes me think. And then Pippa said the same and oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. And you've got to be humili uh, have the humility to say, yeah, what I did was wrong, so I'm going to do it your way now. And I've said this so many times, somebody, my best friend in horsemanship is a guy called Tim McGaffick. A stunning horseman. Great stories. Long history of being with horses and a, a, a cattleman and stockman and one thing or another. And we back and forth and disagree about this and try and think of this, but we always come back to this thing of like, let's analyze it, let's really talk about it. If you can convince me, that's right, I agree. We'll, we'll try it this way. And that's how we've developed. Healthy and debating. it's brilliant, yeah. healthy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that, I think people are, since COVID, I feel like people are recognizing how necessary connecting is. Man, there were so many good things about that, the way it yeah. hammered us down and made us start thinking, but we're kind of falling away from it again. Where Do you remember those times when you, you know, it was so damn quiet? There were no planes? Yeah. This traffic had gone. Your neighbors are talking to you because your neighbors are at home. Everyone's <laughs> lonely and bored. And it's like, well, can I help you out? Yeah. Do you need something? Do you need some groceries? I'm going to the store. You know, it's like it became more of that neighborhood connection. I think it's still out there and I think people, certain people do want that. Yeah. I think people are finding their tribes of the people that want to keep that and yeah. the people that don't. So. Yeah, I think that's, that is another thing, like, again, where you say, I can't fix it, so I accept it. But you stand firm. You say, you can do that if you really want to, but I'm not going to do that. And if it's in my area where I see you doing something, abusing something, I'll help out the person and stop you doing that, whether it's an animal or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have an hour and 40 minutes. All right. So love. thank you so much. You for bet, Les. Taking the time. Slancha. Cheers. <laughs>so much for tuning in to today's episode of stable connections the podcast this is your host shauna burke and if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more don't forget to tune in every monday morning for a new episode follow us on facebook and on instagram it always helps to leave a review on spotify apple podcasts or on facebook and if you or someone you know wants to sponsor an episode please visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com See you next week.